0: Welcome to the Pete on Software Podcast, where we program with passion. This is the podcast that discusses technology, the business side of software, and the tech people that drive our industry. And now, here's your host, Pete Shearer. Hi, and welcome to episode 13 of the Pete on Software Podcast. I'm recording this on Sunday, April 13th, 2014. I'm so excited to share this week's interview with you. Today I have an interview with Itzik Bengan. Itzik is a mentor and co-founder of SolidQ, a SQL Server Microsoft MVP, most valuable professional since 1999. Itzik has delivered numerous training events around the world focused on T-SQL querying, query tuning, and programming. Itzik is the author of several books, including Microsoft SQL Server 2012 High Performance T-SQL Using Windowing Functions and Microsoft SQL Server 2012's T-SQL Fundamentals. He has written articles for SQL Server Pro, SolidQ Journal, and MSDN. Itzik's speaking activities include TechEd, SQL Pass, SQL. U, SQL Teach, and various user groups around the world. Itzik is the author of Solid Q's advanced T-SQL querying, programming and tuning, and T-SQL fundamentals courses, along with being a primary resource within the company for their T-SQL related activities. On a personal note, I read Itzik's SQL Server 2005 T-SQL querying and T-SQL programming books back in 2006, and they definitely impacted my career. Everything I know about SQL Server, I can trace back to the knowledge and foundations that I got from Itzik's books. Being able to interview him, someone that I consider one of my heroes in technology, here eight years later is a huge throw for me. Enjoy the interview.
1: Hi, Etzik, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. And you?
0: I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for coming on the show. Sure, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. So, how did you get started in the field, and why do you do what you do?
1: So, well, this was quite a while back. My first interaction, let's say, with SQL was uh, in the army. So I did the computing course as part of my training, and... uh, you know, one of the subjects that were covered there uh, was uh, SQL. Back then it was with the mainframes. And uh, you could say I fell in love uh, immediately. So this was, I would say, over two decades ago, yeah.
0: All right, awesome. So you're you're big in the SQL Server field right now, and it's changing so rapidly. They're, they pushed a lot of versions, you know, mm-hmm. like three versions in the last uh, couple of years. Right. So with it changing so rapidly... How do you keep current on those changes, especially enough to go on and then teach it to other people, which requires just a totally different depth of knowledge? Right. So,
1: you know, I would say that there are uh, quite a few different uh, areas within SQL Server today. Then, you know, just talking about SQL Server in general covers such a big spectrum. And my area within SQL Server is the language side and the optimization behind it. And one of the nicer things I think about SQL as a language is that is based on these very strong mathematical foundations, set theory, predicate logic, on top of which we have the relational model and then SQL on top of the relational model. So you don't see this area changing so rapidly. And I see it actually as one of the great benefits in in choosing this as your expertise, that you rely on such strong foundations Changes exist, but they are kind of uh, slower and uh, it's also much longer lasting compared to other areas. You know, you, you see even within SQL Server, there are many areas that come up and disappear, whereas the SQL side of things stays uh, pretty much stable with kind of more gradual additions. So I, I think for one, it's easier to keep uh, on top of things. Mm -hmm. And you can invest more in finding new solutions, new insights, focusing on the logical side of things and uh, keeping track of things that do change. You know, being part of the MVP program, uh, you get access, you know, it's in the the private distribution list uh, to information at a pretty early stage with very strong kind of interaction with the Microsoft uh, dev team. Uh, Also within our company, we have uh, SolidQ, we have very strong you know, group of uh, professionals with very good uh, sharing of uh, knowledge and uh, it's a lot of practice. You know, I think that you can get information for so many sources nowadays, but uh, ultimately what you do, you know, with that information, uh, the practice part, playing a lot with things is what, what gives you most of uh, what you know.
0: All right. Yeah. Uh, so you've written a lot of books and you have a regular column with SQL Mag. Right. And I personally find your style very approachable. And I've learned a lot from you, uh, particularly the T-SQL querying and T-SQL programming books. You're, you're basically a SQL legend. So how do you go about deciding how to speak to people in your writing? Like, how do you, you figure out what that tone is or or how to be so approachable?
1: Well, first of all, I, I really appreciate the feedback. It is truly nice to hear. And I would say that for me, SQL is more a way of, of life in, in a manner. So I... I do this all the time, you know, even when I'm not doing uh, actual work with SQL, I keep thinking about it all the time. So, you know, constantly working with SQL related problems and puzzles and constantly looking for new solutions, then when the time comes to write a book or write an article or teaching is more like, you know, pulling one of those ideas from a drawer that is already there, maybe polishing it a bit, you know, so it's not like, you know, when someone uh, needs to write an article or, or a book on some subject and doing most of the research as part of that is very different than it's really a part of you. And you just go and write about one of those things that you just do all the time. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's more what I am than, than needing to look for the information and writing about it, I would say. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So does that does that carry over into
0: some of your in-person training courses? Is that more the same thing where it's just you know, kind of who you are
1: coming out in the course, or is that, yeah, well, or do you try to get a different tone? Well, the, the thing is that you just need to be realistic about what people are looking for, you know, when they come to your training. So for most people, I guess it's not their way of life, you know, it's part of their job, you know. But I, I'm guessing that, first of all, the the fact that whoever delivers the information for them, it's part of what they are, is critical you know, to at least deliver the passion around the topic. And uh, it catches people in in a way, you know, when someone feels that uh, it it became a a life choice for you, it makes them much more motivated about wanting to learn about it. And yeah, yeah, but again, realizing that for some people who attend training, it's more like just part of what they need to do. You just try to get uh, the the knowledge that you gained and trying to deliver it in a way that would be the most efficient. But I I must say that in the classroom, what you teach is uh, not absorbed instantly. So, you know, when someone sits in a class, the percent of what they can capture immediately tends to be quite small. So the Mm -hmm. two critical things are beyond passing the information in the right way to, uh, one, explain uh, how important practice it and making your own decision that you need to invest in this in order to really learn the information and giving them also enough supporting material. So usually when people attend one of my classes, then I give them three books with the class, as well as a lot of source code and a lot of additional resources so that after the course, when they will try to implement something that they learned, mostly they will remember that that there was some topic that was covered or some solution that was presented, but they won't necessarily be able to uh, handle it themselves instantly, but then they will be able to go back to those extra resources and in a second iteration or third iteration, you know, uh, get it. Tr- it's just uh, the way of the, the way you learn, you know.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, teaching them how to fish rather than giving them a fish, Precisely, you know. Yeah. So now Precisely. you've given them the resources and you've showed them, you know, you've given them that kind of that layer of knowledge and that they know where to go look and how to find the answers they need.
1: Precisely. And then there's yeah. also the principles. So in this area, you see... Often people uh, coming with just all kinds of assumptions and kind of patterns of thinking that are just not suitable in this uh, SQL relational kind of environment. So, any kind of principles that come from other programming environments could uh, be correct there, could work there, but simply are so different, you know, in the SQL environment. So, trying to focus on those areas that are so different in SQL then changes your mindset. And then with this kind of thinking, you can uh, learn the, the language and you can learn uh, how to create good, robust, efficient solutions, you know, much better. So that's part of the teaching them how to fish, I guess. Yeah.
0: So is that your approach to, if, if you're coming up to a maybe an underperforming query or you're coming up to something that's uh, just not running optimally, mm-hmm. I mean, is that your approach to it? You look at it, you mentioned earlier, like a mathematical kind of way you break it down, Uh, you know, uh, maybe some of the things to look for, look for people who may be doing things, you know, row by agonizing row as opposed (laughs) to set based, you know, is that, I mean, is that how you approach a a bad query or a bad, uh, maybe some underperforming code?
1: Yeah. So that's a very good point. The the thing is that there are two sort of separate angles here. One is writing a query that does what it's supposed to do, you know, that is correct. And that is a robust enough so that it's easy to maintain it, you know, and so on. And another side is uh, performance. And this is a very interesting distinction within this kind of uh, environment. And the underlying model deal with only the logical uh, layer of the code. And the performance is the sole responsibility of the platform where this uh, SQL is implemented. That's exactly how it was designed, and in fact, there's a principle in the relational model called the physical data independence principle that says that the model and any language based on it are only responsible to define the meaning. And then the platform where it's implemented needs to worry about the performance side of things. So when you speak of query tuning, there you need to be very familiar, very intimately familiar, I would say, with that particular Platform and how it does things. So more understanding the internals, how the optimizer in that platform uh, works, and this tends to be very platform specific because it's not really based on any standard. So how Microsoft decided to implement their engine could be actually quite different than how you know IBM DB2 or Oracle. Uh, you know, so for performance related things, the approaches understand the internals and the optimizer, pretty much. You need to understand it really well. And then from the perspective of writing correct code, uh, following the the principles from the underlying logical model is just critical to write code that is uh, um, without bugs. You know, take the most uh, basic example where people keep falling into this trap, not realizing that tables in SQL represent relations in the relational model, and the relation has a header and a body, The header is a set of attributes and the body is a set of tuples, or what SQL calls uh, rows. And the set is no order. So it's the most fundamental property of a set, but you keep seeing people having all kinds of expectations about data being in certain order in how they write the solutions. So, So the correctness of the solution actually makes an assumption that the data is processed in particular order. So understanding the logical model and it's critical to write correct code and to tune queries well this is just one side of the equation you you really need to understand the physical layer the internals and how that platform actually implements things yeah that's what i would say
0: all right awesome um so you know as you're you're seeing some of these devs and some of the stuff that they know uh, you know, as they come to you, what are some of the biggest T-SQL features that are kind of underutilized or that people don't know about that they're, they're just getting left on the table?
1: Right, so th- there are two, I would say, particular features that uh, for some reason are under the radar for most people. And I, and I usually quiz students in the classroom. How many of you know of this feature and use it already? And the two uh, that I find to be the most underutilized, one is the apply operator, uh, and the other one are a group of features related to a topic called the grouping sets. The first, the apply operator, is just puzzling for me because it was added in SQL Server 2005 already, Mm -hmm. and it's truly one of the most powerful uh, tools that I know of in the language. And I'm just puzzle how, how it is that the percentage of people that uh, say that they're already using it is so small. But then again, when you, you get people that do know it, they can't stop using it. It's one of those tools that, you know, you just realize how powerful it is uh, when you, you you really start uh, uh, using it. And, so for those who don't know, what can it do for you? All right. So what apply does, I mean, if you take a, take a join, for example, a join is a table operator that uh, you apply to two input tables. And the two sides are, you know, what you can think of as static relations. Namely, they can be tables, views, table expressions. So they could be derived from queries, but the outcome of the input queries is sort of predefined. It's not like one of the relations is built based on the other, if if you see what I'm saying. it's so uh-huh. if you take these two static relations and then you apply some kind of logic between them. In the case of a join, depending on the join type, cross-join, inner-join, outer-join, you have some different you know, steps involved. In a cross-apply, it's a bit similar to a join. I would say a cross-join, but when one of the relations is predefined, but the other is evaluated pair row from the other and can actually be defined with references to elements from that left row. So, you know, take as an example, maybe a a query that uh, uh, computes maybe the N most recent orders for a given customer. Now, if Mm -hmm. I wanted to go and do uh, this kind of logic for each customer in my customers table, if I have a top query that gives me the three most recent orders for some customer one, I can now use this uh, apply operator to say, now apply this logic to each of the customers. Now, this is just a basic example, but you can take any kind of querying logic that you are supposed to apply to a whole bunch of, you know, elements from some set, and you have this sort of uh, cross-apply. So, you know, it it sounds basic, but it's just amazing to see the, the number of practical applications. Uh, for this kind of tool. And by the way, recently, part of this program that Microsoft has, they have this uh, so-called Microsoft Virtual Academy where they give a lot of uh, free content, uh, you know, in the form of video recordings. So if people mm-hmm. look up Microsoft Virtual Academy and then there search for video recording called Boost Your T-SQL with the Apply Operator, they will find a two-part uh, course uh, with the first part giving the fundamentals of the apply operator. And then the second part, doing a deep dive into a whole bunch of practical uh, uses. So, you know, they can find quite a few interesting examples for the creative ways that people uh, use this operator. So that's apply. And then there's uh, another group of features, uh, what I refer to as grouping sets. I cannot say that they have so many use cases like apply. Their use is more kind of limited to data warehousing and mainly analytical purposes. But uh, still, this is just surprising for me that there, there's this group of features in the product that uh, many people are just not aware of. Yeah, so that's what's called grouping sets, if people mm-hmm. want to look up this uh, information. All right. So what about
0: uh, um, the most powerful features that T-SQL brings to the table? Is that you know, where they're at? Is it, a, is it the apply operator grouping sets? Or is there more that you feel like T-SQL has that, that kind of really sets it apart?
1: I would say that they're not necessarily the most powerful, especially um, because the point here was to more mention things that are just uh, uh, off the radar or under the radar for many people. But there there are so many uh, powerful tools that uh, people are aware of. Like, you know, you you have uh, functions known as uh, window functions that uh, really change the perspective of how to deal with the data, data analysis calculations compared to let's say the more traditional tools that people use in SQL to do data analysis you know so if you take a uh, uh, grouped queries is one you know way to do data analysis calculations or subqueries that define a set for some aggregate calculation um, you know those more traditional tools they are certainly powerful and there's no question about it. You use grouped queries, you use subqueries, you use joins, you know, as, as part of your common coding practices. But the window functions is just a good example for a, a feature or group of features that was developed at a later point by the standard SQL committee after detecting all kinds of limitations that existed in the older tools, right? So, Mm -hmm. I mean, if you take grouped queries, one of their limitations is that once you apply a group by in your query and you do some kind of an aggregate calculation, you do get these new insights into the aggregated form of the data, but you lose the detail. And it's so common that we need the calculations that somehow mix detail and aggregate elements, you know? So, you know, think of things like running totals. I want to show the detail, but I also want to show along with the detail Uh, running total information, you know, Mm -hmm. performance or bank account balances or you know, stock levels of product, those kinds of things. So you see the nice thing even though the language doesn't develop so rapidly, but there are enough areas where uh, the standard scale committee or sometimes it originates in some vendor you know, that detects some uh, limitations in the language and customer needs for stronger language elements maybe they would edit initially, but then propose it to the standard, and the standard would either implement it as suggested, or but you see the, the language keeps evolving to add those more powerful uh, capabilities, yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. What, what do you think, what kind of critical things do you think T-SQL practitioners should know? So, uh, someone's coming in, mm-hmm. I- I'm one of those people that believes that developers, even application developers, middle-tier developers, really need to understand SQL and really should be involved with it, right. uh, you know, throughout their, uh, throughout their career. So, What kind of things that you think that are critical for someone who's coming to T-SQL to know uh, as they deal with the product?
1: I would say uh, two things. One is people usually dismiss the need to understand the fundamentals well. You know, so there's this common perception of, you know, this is considered the basics somehow, and it's uh, not going to be a good idea for me to spend too much time there because I need to show that I know the advanced stuff. So. Mm -hmm. Especially in this environment where the mindset is so different in the foundations of the language that if you, you don't put serious effort in understanding the fundamentals well, then it, it messes up your understanding, basically, of this language. So I would say the most critical thing is to realize that putting a big investment in understanding the fundamentals well is the most uh, critical thing for you to get good advanced understanding of the language uh, at the later part, you know? And more specifically, this means understanding the mathematical roots uh, of this language. And I'm not saying you need to be a mathematician, so I don't want people to get the wrong perception that suddenly they need to be experts in set theory and predicate logic, but at least understanding the elements in the design of the language that are so unique to it that originate in those mathematical foundations, understanding what a relation is, understanding the properties of a relation, Understanding that there's no inherent order in the relation, you know, and not building solutions based on any other than optimization aspects. Yeah, so if, for example, I, I'm uh, writing, let's say, some kind of a grouped query or a join or whatever, if I prepare good indexes that arrange the data in certain order, the optimizer can rely on order-based algorithms instead of either sorting or using, let's say, a hash-based alternative. So certainly understanding the physical layer and creating the supporting structures to allow uh, physical aspects that need to process the data in order, to get the data in that order, but not relying on my understanding of the physical uh, uh, order of the data or the physical structures in, in the correctness of my solution. That's what I'm saying. And here you see mistakes being done all the time you know so these are what i would say the most critical things understanding the foundations understanding the mathematical foundations the aspects of the relational model and then how sql is affected by those uh, foundations this just g- gives you the the right you know tools to write correct and robust code—that's pretty much, uh, I would say, the most critical thing. Yeah, we've we've covered
0: a lot of different things that TSQL has, and you know, some aspects of TSQL. What kind of areas do you think Microsoft should invest for future SQL Server versions? I mean, honestly, don't we have everything already? It's I mean, <laughs> there's a lot in there, and they keep adding more. And you know, at what point? What else? What else could we even hope to want? All right, so
1: I, I would say we are so far from having everything at the moment. And the area where I would love to see a bigger investment is the core language component. So I would say essentially trying to implement more standard SQL. Now, if you ask me for particulars, I can give you a list of at least a hundred items that I would love to see. But what I'm saying is that you see in the last, especially last version, uh, SQL Server 2014, there there were big investments in, you know, the the hackathon or in-memory OLTP engine, in column store technology, in a new entirely rewritten cardinality estimator that improves the estimates that the optimizer makes. So these are big investments and I don't want to dismiss them in any way. So it was good investment in mainly infrastructure, basically, and performance and so on. But, you know, it seems like there was no attention at all to the standard language features, what you can think of as developer productivity. And my kind of concern with this is that there are so many technologies that uh, suddenly pop up where it's the hottest thing today, but then in a couple of years it won't matter to anyone. Some of them will survive longer, some you know less, but th- the point is, for the last, I would say, 20 years or so, the one thing that consistently everyone loves having is more SQL functionality. And if you go and do a survey, what do you think that could be a, a good a- additional a- a element in the product, you would see Many people proposing their all opinions, of course, on what the uh, missing T-SQL features are. But the consistent theme is that everyone feels like more T-SQL functionality would, would benefit them a lot. So I'm not saying you need to put all of the investment just there, but to see consistent investment in more language features, you know, think of things like uh, arrays that are, are missing now in uh, T-SQL. Think of support for intervals, you know, temporal interval treatment. There, there's so much more windowing functionality in standard SQL. You know, uh, there's no regex capabilities for pattern matching in TSQL, although there is in standard SQL. Uh, think about basic things like create or alter. I want to create a stored procedure if it doesn't exist, alter it if it does exist. You know, so th- there's so much there. I just pointed out uh, a few examples, but I'm saying there are hundreds and hundreds. And this is something that uh, people would always thank Microsoft for for adding. You know, and what I would love to see is just a commitment to keeping improve the biggest portion of investment. But the the part that I would love to see is more investment. If, even if the the top items on my list are not the ones that are chosen, but just to see this continuous investment. That's the part that I I would really like to see. How are they deciding that? Do
0: you know like do they have? Are they taking any kind of input from the community or uh, you know is this is a a room full of academics who are deciding what to include.
1: <laughs> no, they, they have actually a number of uh, channels. There's the uh, Connect website, you know, connect.microsoft.com where anyone uh, basically can uh, post feedback about what features they feel that are uh, currently missing. And then anyone can go and vote for those features. And, uh, you know, Microsoft certainly gives attention to those feature request items. Uh, they're the public forums. And actually recently you see some of the members of the SQL Server dev team participating in those forums so they want to to feel what to, to see what people are are uh, feeling, you know, what are the pain areas and so on. And you know, they have account managers from Microsoft side, so obviously their opinion tends to count more, but you know, if you're working with a big company, then you want to make sure that your your voice is heard through your account manager, you know, to Microsoft. And I would say any channel, blog, blog posts that people write, forums, disconnect site, uh, it's not like we are missing uh, places to, to express our opinion. And the more people express their opinion, the, the more likely it is that Microsoft will listen. That's certainly going to be the case. Obviously, Microsoft as a, as a business wants to see the business value. And sometimes it's hard when, when you take a feature, you say, you know, I think that arrays are missing in SQL Server. Microsoft wants to know how much is it worth, I guess, you know, whereas from our perspective, we just feel like those are very powerful tools that could uh, help us. They could improve our our code, they could make our lives easier, you know, and so on. So it's sometimes hard to quantify uh, those things. But when you think in the long term, that's what you feel like is the right thing to see more investment in. Because that's the one part that is not likely to disappear soon, unlike what you can think of other technologies you know but yeah i can yep. tell you I, I we have strong uh, uh, kind of relationships uh, with microsoft through different channels the, as i mentioned the mvp program through uh, a company our solid q company interaction with them and so on so it, it's not like they don't care but you know they they have i, I guess their mainly their business perspective and uh, uh, what kind of feature will be a game changer while those uh, T-SQL improvements are not necessarily game changes in the short run, but I feel that are very critical in the long term. So that's where my perspective is, you know.
0: All right, good. And I like that you've given the listeners an actionable item. Maybe they can get on there and support some of that stuff at Connect and <laughs> uh, just be vocal knowing that their voice actually oh, yeah. Yeah. will be heard. Yeah. Uh, so so what about you? What do you've got going on right now and in the near future? You got uh, some classes coming up or, you know, some yes. some books or what's going on?
1: What I do is I teach an advanced T-SQL class. It's a five-day class that I teach pretty much uh, all around the world. So I would say that probably 70, 80% of my time, I I travel to different places and I teach this class. And I'm currently working on a book. I'm now updating the uh, T-SQL querying book. So the last version was, uh, or the last edition, covered SQL Server 2008 and Since I was working on a number of other books, then I skipped, you know, the 2012 uh, cycle. And uh, now, uh, with a team of authors, uh, we are working on an update. We don't want to make it uh, version-specific. You know, like the previous editions of the books were always kind of version-specific. But now that the book contains so much information, it is not version-specific. It's more about understanding the mindset, solving problems, and so on. And, of course, looking at different features that help you do those things, but because the kind of lifespan, the longevity of the, the material covered is much longer than one version, then we're not going to call it anymore with a version. t SQL querying third edition. So that's uh, another thing going on. And as usual, the main thing I like to do and keep doing is solving uh, querying puzzles. You know, that's that's a kind of a constant in my uh, life. One of the things I, I enjoy most.
0: Great. So, how does someone get a hold of you if they want to? They want to find out, you know, when a class is near them, or just uh, just kind of follow you around and see what you're up to. What's uh, what are some of the ways? Social media, or blogs, or sites, or what do you have? Hey,
1: sure. So, for one, there's a, our company website. That's SolidQ.com. So there's a training section there, and they can find you know our company. does quite a lot more than training. In fact, training is a smaller part of the business. It's more my focus you know, within the company is mainly around uh, training. But through the SolidQ.com website, I also have a personal section in a website called tsql.solidq.com. And there you can keep track of uh, my activities and the uh, resources uh, that are related to my books and so on. I have a Twitter account. It's itzikbengan it's just one word, I-T-Z-I-K-B-E-N-G-A-N. And uh, anyway, if you look up my name, I guess it should pop up searches. And SQL, yep. SQL uh, Pro Magazine is uh, where I keep my column, like you mentioned. So I have a monthly column there where every month I cover some kind of a, a, a T-SQL related uh, topic, you know, puzzles. And, and create really hard puzzles. <laughs> yeah, well, I like to work on those. So then it's, it's nice to share them, you know, afterwards to see what the other people's perspective is. Uh, about the
0: puzzle yep and they they definitely will help grow some area of your knowledge in t-sql yeah i know i appreciate them for sure well Well, great thank you so much for your time i really really appreciate it this interview has been great i really appreciate it again thanks for your time well
1: thanks for having me it was a real pleasure
0: all right thank you thank you What an amazing interview, tons of information and resources, and I will have them for you in the show notes so that you can refer back to them. One of the things that I loved about the interview was hearing how passionate Itzik is about SQL Server. He said that his teaching and writing style is just to immerse himself so fully in the technology that to teach is just to let what is inside come out. That's awesome. I love that guy. He's so genuine and talking to him was exactly as I expected and hoped he'd be. Do yourself a favor and check out his books. Also, that Microsoft Virtual Academy course on the apply operator that he referenced is taught by him, so you can get an example of his teaching style from there. I have two picks of the week this week. The first one is the Heartbleed test site at filippo.io slash heartbleed. That's F-I-L-I-P-P-O oio slash heartbleed with a capital H. You can enter a site and see whether or not it is still affected by the Heartbleed exploit. Hopefully, most major sites have fixed the problem, but you can use it on yourself to see whether or not any of the servers that you have are suffering from the bug. My second and related pick is LastPass at lastpass.com. LastPass is one of several programs that manage your passwords for you, allowing you to create unique and strong passwords across all of the sites that you visit. It works as browser plugins, and I got it up and running with little problem and is working seamlessly. Heartbleed made me finally decide to start using the tool and to have very strong, unique passwords across the web. I had probably six passwords that I had been rotating, but I was definitely allowing reuse. With tools like LastPass, there's really no reason for that. That's all for this week. Remember, I have links to all the tools and resources in this week's show notes. You can find the notes for this episode, number 13, at www.pedonsoftware.com slash podcast. You can also contact me on Twitter as atpedonsoftware and on my blog pedonsoftware.com Thanks for listening and I'll see you next week.